tonight's topic, um, you're going to hear about three kind of different messages from me over the course of this weekend. And I chose to do that for a reason. Um, I'm sure you guys are not unaware of the crazy things that we have in our world right now. That it really is interesting to me that we can have such opposite ends of the spectrum on information. And it's like, how is that possible that people who are very intellectually smart, intelligent, schooled, you name it, they can have two totally polar opposite ideas and both seemingly seem true. Do you guys, do you guys feel like that is something we're experiencing in our world today? And so um, this message that I wanted to give you today is like, as the world gets crazier and crazier, how are we going to stay grounded to be able to see the difference between truth and error? Because if you guys think that we just now have entered into some strange times, buckle your seatbelts. It's about ready to get a whole lot more weird. And I believe that God has given us the tools to be able to distinguish between those truths and those errors. And um, that's what I really want to talk about with this particular message. Um, tomorrow's message for Sabbath will be a little bit different than this. Um, and then on um, tomorrow afternoon, we'll be talking about aliens. And the reason that I would like to speak about that topic is because I believe it's important to understand and know where we stand in the wake of this time that we're living in, because I believe that we are running out of time on the clock. There's no more time. And once that we see these events starting to play out and unfold, unfold into our world, I hope that it lights a fire underneath you, and you will, with extra energy, go out there to win souls, because we don't have much time left to win them. So that's kind of my, my goals with these messages. Um, let's uh, bow our heads for a quick word of prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open up this topic, um, may you uh, just speak to our hearts, open our eyes. Lord, we need to see the world with your eyes, not our own eyes, and help us to, to be able to distinguish between truth and error. So teach us how to do that. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I titled this Real Eyes, Realize, Real Lies. I think it's very interesting in the English language that we're able to say something with the same sound and it means something completely different. Um, but it is interesting to me that how is it possible that we have this very um, foretold things in the Bible that are, that are telling us what's coming and this is nothing new. I mean, in the world, when Jesus was was stepping onto the scene. I mean, those Jews were not ignorant of what was happening in that day and age. In fact, you remember the story of the three wise men that came to, to uh, meet with the king and ask him, where is this newborn king that's been born? He goes and asks the religious leaders, well, please tell me in your prophecies and everything, go tell me when this baby's being born. They went real quick. They told him, oh yeah, he's going to be born around this time and he's going to be born in Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, in Bethlehem. And so, um, 
Discernment is the ability to judge well. And like the second definition in a dictionary, it says the perception in the absence of judgment with the view to obtain spiritual guidance and understanding. We need discernment in today's world. And I, I work primarily with young people. Um, that's my passion. That's what our ministry aims at. Um, I believe there's a lot of wonderful ministries in our church um, we don't all do the same thing, and our ministry has taken the hard task to go and talk to the teenage to college age range. And so that's why we pick the topics that we do, that's why we aim at the, at the kids that we do. And I'm shocked in today's world when I go and I talk with young people, the lack of discernment that kind of is alarming to me, and I often leave some of those conversations going, Lord, have mercy upon this generation that's coming up. Like, how is this possible? And I'm sure every generation, my parents probably looked at my generation and said, oh Lord, have mercy on these young souls coming up. I know it just seems like it's getting worse and worse. So, you guys have probably seen this floating around the internet, right? This is um, that dress that some people saw two different colors. You see black and gold, or do you see um, blue and Let's see what the two colors are. Black and, is blue, blue and black or white and gold? How many of you see white and gold? How many see black and blue? Okay, so about half the room. So isn't that interesting that you actually can see two different things? Here's another um, thing that's kind of fascinating to me. Um, which one of these, A or B, is darker? The box. I'm just talking about the box, A or B. How many of you think um, B is darker than A? Okay, one. How many think A is darker than B? Okay, quite a few of you. I'm going to put the color up here. It's the exact same color. So maybe you have kind of seen this. It depends on how your brain is interpreting that information. Here's another one. There's two lines here. Which one is darker, A or B? Now you guys are kind of thinking a little bit. They're actually the exact same color. So it's interesting to me that we can look at the same topic and come up with two totally different ways of interpreting that same information. Have you guys seen this floating around the internet? Go ahead and read this. You could read it with quite ease, couldn't you? Isn't that interesting? You know, I often will use examples like this to tell kids we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And our brains are incredibly intelligent and are able to pick up on some incredible information that we don't even need to see the full picture. Your mind can breeze through this and read the whole thing, even if it's all jumbled up. And so I, I, I point these little fun illustrations out because there's a story in the Bible that comes from Luke. And this is when Jesus is being brought into the temple and going to be dedicated as a baby. And remember this gentleman, Simeon, walks by an occurrence that they had seen every single day, all the time, babies coming and going, all the time. What was it that all of a sudden Simeon walks by and goes, there's the Son of God. How was he able to discern that thing when the religious leaders are literally seeing the same thing, they've got their noses in the Bible. They're reading this all the, the, the content all the time, the same kind of content he's reading. 
So I want to share with you, because I believe that this gives us a little bit of a window into how do we begin to discern the things of God. Listen to this. Luke 2.25 says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. Here's some facts that he was a good man. He was devout, meaning he was, he was worshiping God, and he's waiting for the, for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for this time that he knows is coming close. That's how he's able to discern something that the Jewish were really not waiting for the same thing as I'm sure he was understanding. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke 2.26 says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So not only is he waiting, he's a good man, he has a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is telling him pieces of information such as he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he is led by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do according to this, the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Now, here's something that's kind of interesting, because he's letting us know Luke is recording these words, letting us know that he understood the mission of Jesus, that he was to be a light to the Gentiles. That's a very important piece of information because you see the Jews, they just took that light that they were supposed to be sharing with the Gentiles and they hid it. We don't even want to talk with them. We're not even going to eat with them. And, and, we're not, the, the salvation is not even for them. It's just for us. So here he's understanding of what the purpose of Jesus' mission really was and to give glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against. And yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So he's responding to the Holy Spirit. He's, he's in communication with God. God's revealing to him what's going on. You know, I got into a conversation with someone the other day of when do you move out of the cities? Like, when is it time to actually go out of the cities? And I'm sorry I didn't look up this quote. I'm just saying this off of the top of my head, so you guys can go home and look this up if you want. But he brought up a quote and read that quote that said, God will reveal to his people when it's time to get out of the cities, but he will not reveal it to his people unless his people ask. That's interesting to me. Are we really asking for the Holy Spirit's discernment on all kinds of different topics, things? Lord, please share with me, because I have example after example where the Lord is revealing some pretty amazing things. You know, God has given each one of us spiritual gifts, and I'm totally convinced of this. Um, you know, people come up to me all the time and they're just like, wow, like, how did you see what you saw in this particular movie or something? What in the, how, like, do you have some special gift or something? No, I don't have a special gift. 
the more that I read my Bible, the more that I'm able to see where some of the enemy is tripping up some, our, from some of our people. It's not necessarily a special gift or, or anything else, but I want you to, to listen to this. 1 Corinthians 12.10, where it talks about some of these special gifts that God gives to, to different people. To another, the working of miracles. To another, uh, prophecy. Um, to another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse time, kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of those tongues. I believe that God gives certain people insights to be able to, to help out the rest of us that need help seeing things. There are certain ministers that I, I like listening to, and when I watch and listen to some of their, their, their messages, I'm always like, how in the world did they see that? How did they put that together? I remember uh, listening to a sermon about Ivor Myers, I think he, he spoke about um, all the books of the Bible being written in the way that they were written, and the order that they are written in tells a story, meaning if you, you couldn't necessarily put them in a different order to come out with that same amount of story. And it was just like, how did he see that? But I believe God gives people special gifts. But I believe that it's important for us to be aware of where the enemy trips us up. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know that the end of this world, there is going to be a lot of deception at play. 2 Thessalonians 2.9-12 says, Even him who's coming after the working of Satan with all power and lying and signs um, and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness, uh, uh, deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I, I like to use this verse when really trying to get young people to understand What's the reason why I shouldn't watch something that has some unholy things in it? What's the real reason why this would be damaging? There was only one sex scene. There was only one evil scene. There was only one murder. What's the real problem? The real problem is the more and more that we have pleasure in the unrighteous things of this world, the less and less we will be able to discern the things of truth. And that's what the Bible tells me. And so I'm kind of sharing this with you because our ministry has spoken a lot about spiritualism. A lot of films, a lot of movies, they have a lot of things of spiritualism in them. These, this is one of the elements that, that Satan has been working on the human race since the very, very beginning. He's used spiritualism. He's using it in the end times. But listen to what the Great Controversy, page 561, says. Satan has long been preparing for his final effort to deceive the world. The foundation of his work was laid by the assurance given to Eve and Eden, you shall not surely die, and in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing both good and evil, Genesis 3, 4, and 5. Little by little, he's been preparing his way for his masterpiece of deception in the development of spiritualism. Spiritualism is just a system of belief 
or practice based on supposed communication with the spirits of the dead, especially through mediums. And this will be especially important when we kind of start to talk a little bit about the alien topic. There's a lot of spiritualism that's involved in that. But what's more alarming to me is um, how many Christians actually believe in that topic. And I think that's where, like, it's really, I think, our job as Adventists, as people who understand the state of the dead, that we can actually help our Christian brethren to avoid this pitfall because they, we have a duty to go out and tell them this information. So that's another reason why I really want to share that with you. So obviously, the devil used the snake in the Garden of Eden. That is a form of spiritualism. He said, you won't, sh- you won't die if you eat this piece of fruit. You can distill down any bit of spiritualism in this very simplistic one-sentence word. All spiritualism is designed to do is to change the word's of God. That's it. That's the, that's the most basic definition I can give you for spiritualism. God says, you eat this fruit, you die. The snake says, no, you eat this fruit, you won't die. All he's doing is changing the words of God. And the reason why I'm telling you that, we call this a medium when he used the snake, right? The plural form of, of medium is media, and one of the dictionary definitions of medium is literally communication, information, entertainment, newspapers, radios. It's sharing information. Um, But I want you to keep that in mind, that the devil just, all he wants to do is change the words of God because it's the word of God, just like what 2 Thessalonians said for us. Those that build their foundation upon the word of God, the truth then they will not be deceived by these delusions. It's the word of God that Jesus was able to to, um, beat the deceptions that the devil was throwing at him, and I believe it's the word of God that we need to understand today. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12 is a great verse to understand why spiritualism is not a good thing in our life. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire or uses divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits, a wizard or a necromancer for all that do these things are an abomination to the Lord. So anybody that's involved in witchcraft, sorcery, all of those things that we see in common media today, those things are considered by God to be an abomination And he was very serious about this um, with his Old Testament people, and I believe he's as serious with us as as he was with them in the old ancient days. Leviticus 26 says, And the soul that turneth after such that have familiar spirits and after wizards and goes whoring after them, I will set my face against that soul. It's such a serious offense to God that those that engaged in that witchcraft and that lifestyle that he would literally turn to them and say, I want nothing to do with you. And trust me, God is a very patient God. God is a very, 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 very patient God beyond what you can possibly even imagine. But there are things that will push him past his patience. This being one that you constantly see in the Old Testament come up again and again and again. So I'm telling you that because 
I find it very interesting. Alexander Graham Bell was a huge spiritualist. In the 1800s, when religious awakenings were starting to happen and things were really starting to get um, ramped up, in the world, we had all these technological booms. And in these technological booms, you had these major inventors that were actually using spiritualism to invent these products. Um, Alexander Graham Bell, there's some um, articles and stuff you can find online about how he involved, was involved in seances. Thomas Edison was also a huge spiritualist, and he came up with the record player. That was one of the inventions that he came up with. Um, Alexander Graham Bell, when he wanted to um, come up with a telephone, uh, what he was wanting to do was be able to talk with the spirits. And so he was involved in spiritualism to basically show people that spirits were real. Thomas Edison developed the record player, and um, there is a ton of information on him on the internet where all of the experiments that he came up with, he was trying to communicate with the dead. So what he was trying to do was he was trying to record the spirits and then he could play them back to people, proving that there was a spiritual life beyond what people knew. I find that really interesting because think about this. In the 1800s, spiritualism is ramping up, technology is ramping up, and all of a sudden the stage is being set, God could have come, right? And we've heard that before. But flash forward to us today. We all carry around technological booms in our pockets. Technology is ramping back up, and so is spiritualism. What is it that the devil knows that he's using those two things together that is going to prepare for his masterpiece? Um, Jean Logie Baird, he was the one that invented the television. He was also um, channeling the, the late dead spirit of Thomas Edison, and Thomas Edison was helping him create the television. What would the spiritual world want to do with creating all of these devices? Because, like what Mrs. White says in Acts of Apostles, the ancient system of magic is, in reality, the same as what is known as modern spiritualism. Satan is finding access to thousands of minds by presenting himself as a guise of departed friends. You know, it's really interesting if you kind of just pay attention to what's going on in the religious scene in the world. Because, like it says in the great um, controversy, those, those unions that are going to come together, right? This is where she says, great controversy, page 588, the two great heirs, immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring his power, his people under his deception. While the former lays the foundation of spiritualism, the latter creates the bonds of sympathy with Rome, and the Protestants of the United States will be the first and foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to glass, grasp the hand of spiritualism, and they will reach across the abyss to grasp, uh, grasp the hands of the Roman power, and under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the footsteps of trampling on the rights of consciousness, conscience. So, we can see that this is now starting to begin to happen. We see these unions coming together. And this is all the more reason why we need to know how do we go out and talk with those out in the world so that they don't get caught up in all of this. 
I've always wondered how is how in the world are they going to rope all these different religious ideas under one roof? I mean, there is a lot of people in Hollywood that absolutely hate God. I have made a 10-year ministry of showing people how much these people hate God. How are you going to get those people and everybody underneath one roof and you can see them doing it? Papists, Protestants, and worldlings alike will be in the form of godliness without the power, and they will see in this union a grand movement for the conversion of the world and usher in the long-expected millennium. You can see that there is a pushing of an ecumenicalism in the world, and how that's being done is really interesting through climate change. But I want to show you a clip from the Pope and I want to show you how he um, actually sees creation. Listen to what 60 Minutes did a little piece on him. Listen to what they believe he believes about creation. St. Francis of Assisi is the patron saint of the environment. To honor his namesake, Pope Francis devoted his 2015 encyclical, a 184-page letter to the church faithful, to the technology, science, and data behind climate change. This pope speaks openly of evolution and says, quote, the biblical story of creation is a mythical form of expression. So isn't that kind of interesting that he would not even believe in creation? Do you think there's a reason why we were given the three angels message, which the first angels message is fear God and give glory to him for he's created the heavens and the earth, right? That's our message that we're supposed to give because this is coming down on the world like a storm, not giving God the glory. Um, I'll play a little bit of this clip, but you can begin to see a little bit of the beginnings of them calling for a day of rest. Here he is talking about how the Jews take a day of rest, and this is good for the environment. Isn't that interesting? How many of you have seen this picture? Yeah. Isn't that kind of interesting? Do you see two eyes? Does it look like there is fangs coming down? That's the building that is called the auditorium. It's right off of St. Peter's Square. But it is literally in your face that he is speaking from the mouth of the serpent. This building was not made by a mistake. That's the outside of the building is even designed to look like the head of a snake. Isn't that crazy? And you know what I just typed in on the internet? Vatican snake building. And you see tons and tons of pictures. This is not just somebody going, oh, well, wow, this looks like a snake. This building was designed in a particular way. Now, I want to preference that. Listen to what it says in Bible Commentary. Page, uh, Bible Commentary 4, um, 1184. God has his jewels in all churches, and it's not for us to make a sweeping denunciation of the professed religious world. Listen to this. The Lord has his representatives in all churches. These persons have not had the special testing of truth for these last days presented them unto their circumstances that brought conviction to their heart and mind. Therefore, they have not, by rejecting light, severed their connection with God. And then she says, among the Catholics, there are many who 
our most conscientious Christians and who walk in all the light that shines upon them and God will work in their behalf. Isn't that beautiful? I preference that with because I don't want to just slam the organization and therefore everyone part of that organization is a problem. God has so many people part of these organizations. We communicate. It's hilarious. People get on our YouTube page all the time. If somebody comes on our YouTube page and uses an Ellen White quote, we are very specific to only use Bible because we're reaching out to the public. And People will come on, just guests, not being aware of that. They'll use an Ellen White quote, and then all of a sudden we'll receive this flood of, you should not have Seventh-day Adventists on your show. We've been watching your show for so long, and it's a great show. Don't ruin it with the Seventh-day Adventists. Not knowing you've been watching a Seventh-day Adventist show. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love it. But God has his people everywhere. The reason I'm sharing that with you is because, remember, we're talking about discernment. How do we have discernment? And when I said it's about ready to get strange, listen to this. This comes from the great controversy. The apostles, as personated by these lying spirits, are made to contradict that which they wrote and at the dictation of the Holy Spirit when they were on earth. What that tells me is that there will be a time that that person that wrote that gospel, let's just say John, shows up and says, you know what? You know what I wrote in the Bible? You guys have all these translations. Yeah, you kind of got it a little bit wrong. What I meant was this. Remember, all spiritualism is designed to do is to change the words of God. Listen to this. I have been shown that evil angels in the forms of believers will work in our ranks to bring in a strong spirit of unbelief. These powers of evil will assemble in our meetings not to receive a blessing, but to counter the work of the counterwork the influences of the spirit of God. In this time evil angels in the form of men will talk to those which know the truth and they will misinterpret, misconstrue the statements and messengers of God. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, I have spoken in many environments, and I am not unfamiliar with people disagreeing with us. Trust me, I've, I've had constant disagreements over the years. But I had someone in one of our meetings in a church, and I'd never had this happen before, raise his hand and stand up in the middle of the meeting and turn around to everyone else in the church and say, don't listen to this guy. He's going to poison your minds and everything he's saying is false. I'd never had anyone do this to me public before. And it threw me off guard. I didn't know what to say. I just kind of like, you know, like, wow. And I, and I, and I just kind of barely rolled through it and stuff like this. But he completely disrupted the entire room to the point where I almost lost about half the room. You can tell when people are listening and people are not listening. And from that point on, he encouraged them, don't be weird, people. This is being weird and what he's saying is being weird. Look at this. What she says is that those people will come into our church's evil spirits in the form of men and sit and counter the work that God is doing. Do you know what that tells me? You need to know what the work of God is doing. 
You need to know what the work of God says, and you need to know how to say it from the Bible and know where that comes from so that when you see that counter-influence come, it's like, nope, thus saith the word of God. It's right here. That's the purpose of wanting you guys to know we need to understand the truths, and they have to be grounded in the word of God. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Now, listen to this. Those who make the working of miracles a test of his faith will find that Satan can, through a species of deceptions, perform wonders that will appear to be genuine miracles. What that tells me, too, is don't think that just because it is a miracle, something good that happened, that therefore that counts it as something that came from God. That's not a test of whether or not it came from God. Let not these days pass by, by the precious opportunities be lost, by seeking the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your mind and soul. If we accept not the truth and the love of it, we may be among the number who will see the miracles wrought by Satan in the last days and believe them. Many strange things will appear as wonderful miracles, which will be regarded as deceptions manufactured by the father of lies. And let me tell you this. If you see an absolute miracle happen, and you were to be someone that said, you know what, something doesn't feel right about this, and I don't feel like that comes from God. Think of what the rest of people that saw that are going to think of you. That's going to be a hard test of when people are like, what, you didn't see that? And that just happened. And Listen to what Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5 says. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or wonder and that sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke of saying, let us go after other gods. So here's the thing right here. If somebody prophesies and says something and gives a sign and wonder and that comes to pass, that's still not a proof that it came from God. You need to listen to what are they saying. Is it contrary to? to what the Bible says. Because they're always going to come up and try to counter the word of God. That's their purpose. You shall, not, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet or the dreamer of dreams. Now listen to this carefully. For the Lord your God is testing you whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Isn't that interesting? That God allows these things to happen as a test to us. And I find that a difficult thing to explain to young people. In fact, I got into this conversation the other day. Why did God do this to Job? Why, that just seems cruel. Why would he do that? And it was, it was hard to explain to him in a short, quick conversation, but I believe that God allowed that experience because Satan was bringing an argument saying, you've provided all these things for him and he's only serving you because you gave that to him. And God had to say, it's not because of that. If he had none of that, then he would still serve me. And really, he was exposing Satan through that whole experience as well. 
John 14, 26 says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which the Father sent in my name, he shall teach you all things. I believe that the Holy Spirit, his function, his job to bring us into remembrance of all things, to bring us into a conviction of sin, I think it's very not interesting, but I think it's sad that we have a big question on this topic of the Holy Spirit at this point. When the function and the job of the Holy Spirit is really to convict us and bring our minds back to the things of God. How many of you guys play with social media, especially the young people? Yes. Have you heard of the term uh, um, an influencer? Okay. So this guy right here is going to do an experiment on influencers. And what he's really wanting to test out is if you are an influencer, an influencer is somebody that can get other people to buy the products or whatever, right? They're good at getting people to follow what they're doing. And so he goes, if you're an influencer, I wonder if I could influence you. If you know what the tricks are, is it possible to influence you? So he brings these influencers into this place in L.A., and I'll show you what he does. So he sends them out, they go and they take pictures, and they take hundreds of pictures in every single room, tons of pictures, over and over and over again. And then he brings them in the room, and he says, okay, now I want you guys to make a post, and I want to see what you're going to post. So the point is, the point is, do you really think it doesn't affect me? Do you really think millions of dollars are exchanged between groups and entities who have honed in psychological profiling and you name it? We're going to talk about TikTok for a second tomorrow. Not tonight, tomorrow. It is mind-boggling what TikTok is capable of. I mean mind-boggling. And I... Uh, do you guys remember a little while ago when Trump was like, we shouldn't have TikTok in our countries? Do you guys remember that? And everybody laughed at him? It's kind of interesting. I think it's kind of interesting. Because if you wanted to be another country and take over a country, no longer do you have to roll in there with guns. You know what you do? Yeah, all you got to do is make an, app, make an app. You can rot them from the inside out. And it is a mind game that is, I mean, it's mind-boggling. I have nieces that play it. And I just asked my niece one time, how many hours, because you know it gives you a little counter, how many hours you actually play on it. It was in some crazy tens of thousands, if not a 100,000 hours. And I was like, the game hasn't even, or the app hasn't even been around that long. And, you know, you get, you get, I think, counted every time you scroll and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure it's not totally true. But, I mean, it's mind-boggling how much these kids are playing with these things. How is it possible that in Jesus' day, you have Pharisees that are watching Jesus do miracles? They are watching him heal watching people raised from the dead, watching 5,000 people being fed, amazing miracles happen, and yet they don't believe. And then you have a story of like the woman at the well who only hears the words of God, only hears what Jesus says, and immediately I need to go tell somebody, and runs around and goes and tells everybody who will even possibly listen to her. 
How is that even possible? I believe that it's because of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. You know, when I read a verse like this, it's very interesting to me that our world and many of our youth are obsessed with superheroes. Because if we listen to the Bible and we said, hmm, it tells me to have nothing to do with supernatural, witchcraft, sorcery, all that kind of stuff. Well, there goes Disney. There goes half a Marvel. There go, you know what I mean? Like we would immediately just filter through that off of one or two verses. And then if it says have nothing to do with silly, vain myths, we would go, well, is it mythology? Well, then there goes the other, don't need to watch this, right? I want to show you why. I want to give you the why. I don't think that people in this room have a problem with this, and my purpose is not to convince you of it, but I want you to be aware of it because I believe that when you are in the event to, to, to need to explain this to someone, you need to be able to explain it from the Bible. Baal. Do you know much about the god Baal? You ever looked into the god Baal? He's an interesting god. I never could understand why Israel was constantly tripped up by Baal. What was it about him that they would constantly, okay, we're going to forget about God and we're going to totally fall after this, this God. What was it? Listen to this. I, I was doing some research on this and I said, okay, I want to know, I want to understand. So I looked up Encyclopedia Britannica. Baal, his name was um, Lord. They called him the Lord, Lord. And they worshipped him as the prince of the earth. They called him Lord, Lord. They said that he was the God that was in the sky, that created the earth, that made the water fall down on the plants, that made everything grow. He's the one that caused the sun to shine, all those things, right? Well, who is that? Who could, who could we say that's, that's kind of like? Right? So follow this logic here. Why couldn't I just take this God and say, well, that kind of sounds just like God. And in fact, if he's the God that's in the sky and he comes from the clouds, do you know who his arch enemy was? His arch enemy was, um, uh, they called, Baal was known as the Lord of the heavens, by the way. And his arch enemy was this snake God named Mot. So follow the logic here. Baal came down from the clouds to fight a snake god who was the god of death in the underworld, and that snake god ended up killing Baal. Baal dies and is resurrected back to life. Wait, stop me when you don't hear a parallel to Jesus. I don't care if he's wearing a cape and he goes through the same things that Jesus went through, what's wrong with an allegory if it shares all the same similarities like this? Because God clearly said, have nothing to do with this God. Nothing. Nothing to do with this God. And so, he was the favored um, um, Mott was the favored uh, uh, son of God El, which is very interesting. So you can see the kind of flip reversal right here. But 
He, Baal was resurrected. He comes back to life and he saves the people. And listen to this. The worship of Baal was popular in Egypt from the New England or New Kingdom in the 1400 BCE to the end. And though its influence were the Arameans who borrowed the Babylonian pronunciation Baal, the god ultimately became known to the Greeks, uh, Baalos, identified as Zeus. Do you see why God says, Baal is, you should have nothing to do with him. Don't, don't, don't read his stories. Don't follow after what he does. This God has constantly tripped people up. But you know what the devil, he's so smart. He just changes the name and he hands it to the next generation. And they go, oh, it's not Baal, it's Zeus. And Zeus is this God from the sky that, you know, has all these powers. So this is a comic book um, um, writer, he's not Christian or anything like this, but he's just commenting on where does it say right here, like number 12, Zeus to us turned into Superman. Isn't that interesting? We're still getting tripped up by this god Baal. We're still having problems with them in our church. I mean, Grant Morrison has, has, has come out and said, these are gods from other civilizations and other cultures, and they are, they are you know, they're worshipped as these other gods. But see, if we just went back to what does the Bible say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? First Kings 18.21 says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between these two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one or you'll love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, says Luke 16, 13, verse 13. You cannot serve both God and mammon. I love how Jeremiah puts it. I will punish Baal in Babylon, and I will make him spew out what he has swallowed. The nations will no longer stream to him. Even the wall of Babylon will fall. Come out of her, my people, my people, says Jeremiah 51, verse 44 through 45. Isn't that interesting that we kind of hear some of the similar language Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. And we hear that coming around again to us today. We hear it from Revelation 18, verse 4 and 5. Come out of her, my people. Galatians 5, 19. I don't need to read this entire list, but where we get a lot of the immoral sins of the world. You can just read this list and you can just apply this you know, if the things that we're engaging in in this world have any of these elements, why would we want to put them before our eyes? Ephesians 5.5 5 says, For you are sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, that has, uh, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I put this verse in here because I wanted to notice, I want you to notice something. It's not just those big sins that we say, I'm not going to be doing that. But notice how they're lumped in with things like being a simple idolater. Are we following after other gods? Those things will keep us out of the kingdom of heaven just like the other things. Um, you know, I really believe that we are on the precipice of time. I really believe just like the story of the Israelites standing on the River Jordan, Moses is preparing to go across and 
all of a sudden, Balaam is called by the Midianite kings to come and, and somehow curse these people because everyone else has heard the stories of what God did for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and now they're, they're right at the edge of their borders, and they're coming into their country. So Balaam gets called in there to do something, and Balaam tells something very interesting to those kings. He says, you know what? As long as those people follow their God, there's nothing you can do to them. You could send your whole army against them and they will be annihilated in front of you. And he ends up blessing them. But you know, Balaam goes home and he thinks and he thinks and he really wants that money. And he comes back and he says, you know what? If you actually want victory over these people, it's pretty simple. All you got to do is get them to worship something other than their God. And they're like, how do we do that? Just throw some parties. Just have them engage in your worship ceremonies, right? And if they watch you, they'll, they'll fall prey to that. And that's exactly what happened. It was simple things that were brought into the camp of Israel that all of a sudden, God lost his connection with the people and therefore they lost his protection, that's why I feel very passionate with speaking to our young people. Don't let these things of our world come in between you and a relationship with God. Social media is a tool. Can it be used for God? Yes. Can it be used to meet with your friends? Yes. Are there things on social media that may not be wholesome for us? Yes. We need to be aware of those things. And we need to be able to know when to turn away, when to turn it off, when to walk away, because I believe we are literally on the precipice of time. Listen to this beautiful quote from Ministry of Healing, page 477. God estimates men by purity of motive, not by wealth, their education, or their position does God estimate men. He estimates them by the purity of their motive and their beauty of their character, he looks to see how much his spirit they possess and how much of his likeness in their life reveals. To be great in God's kingdom is to be as a little child in humility, in simplicity of faith, in purity of love. Isn't that beautiful? That we don't have to be something big to try to win the favor of God. All we have to do is be simple in our faith simple in our desire to have God's purity, that's what he sees as, as worthy of, of, of great value. It's not how much have you done, what do you make, how many times, how much money did you put in that, in that offering plate? That's not what is the greatest value to God. It's when he looks at you and he sees the simplicity of our characters and the purity of our hearts. That's what he sees. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ability to come together, to worship freely, to have just open conversations about what an awesome God you are. We know these times are fast approaching to where they will be no more. So we just ask for your divine presence, Lord, especially over this weekend, on this Sabbath day. May we connect with you, Lord, in a way that we, we know we need to. And um, 
may we see our need of you. We thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.